Mac Power Users, episode 401, Big Questions. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie? I feel like we're over the hump. Yeah, we just got over 400. Yeah. So, I mean, like, those those shows always feel like big, you know, you got to do something, you know, big and meaningful. And now we can just have a normal show, which is nice. The pressure's off. We didn't really deliver the goods. We didn't have, like, you know, fireworks going off. But it was fun. And uh, hearing back, people like bringing back the old music. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best parts is when I hear from people saying, just keep making them. Just keep making them. I love that. I love hearing that from people. So tell me that. Uh, but we do have these big question shows we do every two or three months. And what these shows deal with is the question where we get these questions from listeners all the time that they don't really fit into a feedback show. They take longer to answer than a typical feedback show would. And uh, But they're questions we still want to answer. They involve generally Apple technology. And uh, we collect them. And the list got long enough we decided we were going to do another big question show. Yeah, it's like not quite big enough to devote an entire show to, but yet too big to cover in a feedback show. And we kind of like take everybody's questions and and meld them together into broad topics, kind of. It's trends like like the we've got one today on upgrade strategies and there there have been a bunch of people have been writing us about that lately and in different contexts. So we put that into one question. We're going to cover the whole thing right there. I, th- I guess we should get started. Well, let's let's kick it off. Our our first couple of questions, and I, I kind of parsed a f- several questions here. So you're going to see probably the theme for the first part of the show is is people, I think, wanting to know about the new iPhone 10 that are coming out is coming out and what they should do. So when this show releases, uh, the new iPhone will be available for pre-order in many areas uh, later this week. And this is kind of a new area for us because this is the first time that we've had two very different styles of iPhone to buy in a year. You know, some people may have gone ahead and bought the iPhone 8. I know a lot of people are holding out for the iPhone 10. Um, David, I'm going to buy an iPhone 10. Are, are you going to get up and buy an iPhone 10? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk through that, though, because it's it's actually going to be a big challenge. I mean, the all the leaks coming out of China and Apple are that these things are severely supply constrained. So if you want to get a new iPhone X 10, whatever. I, I'm still calling it an X, Katie. It's hard. So we want to tell people that they should definitely hold off and not order their iPhone 10 until November, <laughs> right? That's, that's no, the advice no, we're that's giving not people. true. That is not true. You are, if you're listening to the show, you're in the family. You, you need to be up at midnight Pacific time or 3 a.m. Eastern. The, oh yeah. And that's on the 27th, I believe, or is it the 26th? Is it- well, it depends. It depends. It's the, it's a midnight 12 a.m. On the 27th or 3 a.m. Yeah. On the East Coast. On the 27th. So so it's the night of the 26th leading into the 27th, not the the night of the 27th leading into 28th. If if you wait until then, you're 24 hours late and you're not going to get your phone. That's fine. You can do that. Katie Floyd. (laughs) I want a phone. All right. I'm going to like, I don't know, Katie, you're going to get, you're, you're asking for a karma bounce. That's all I'm know. saying. All right. So uh, get up, set your alarm for, for like 1155 on the 26th and you'll be fine. If Katie starts complaining that her connection just didn't work that night, we'll, we'll all know why, won't we? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so yeah, so it's it's in the middle of the night. Um, so in terms of strategy, we did a show right after they announced the phones as to which one we wanted. It sounded to me like you were really kind of going back and forth on it at the time. Uh, now, now you are solidly in the iPhone 10 camp. Yeah, that was predictable. With me, it wasn't even a prediction. As soon as I'm like, "What? There's a new phone that that's special. I want it." Um, uh, but that that does ask a question. One of the one of the many questions we had about this is how often do you upgrade and why? Um, I upgrade every year, and and the why is because number one, I mean, let's be honest, I'm a nerd, and I just want the latest and greatest every year. I uh, I don't spend money on a lot of crazy things, but but uh, uh, Apple technology seems to be my my poison of choice. And with the family, it always works out. We can kind of recycle the old ones down the chain. Uh, usually, what we do is the, the one that spits out the bottom of the system gets sold. And, you know, we get something from Gazelle for it. So it's a little bit of an offset. This year, I'm actually giving it to my mother-in-law because now she has an Android phone. And I'm so tired of trying to figure out her phone every time she comes over and needs help. I'm going to get you an iPhone. And then you're going to be, you know, she can join the family sharing and all the other stuff. But uh, so uh, I'm going to get the new one. I do every year. My guess is a year from now, I'll be getting the new one again. Um, Katie, what about you these days? So I traditionally have not gotten a new phone every year. I've traditionally been on an every other year upgrade cycle. And that was largely based on when carriers had a traditional two-year cycle for their upgrades. You could get a subsidy and upgrade your phone for a less expensive price every two years. That has kind of gone away now. And so you, at least in the U.S. now, you have options where you can still kind of buy a phone, but you have to make payments on it. And whether you buy the phone outright or whether you make payments on it or or whether you do one of these contract things, you know, it really doesn't seem to matter anymore. So I probably if if the iPhone 8 were the only phone that was out, I probably would not upgrade this year. I probably would still be on an every other year upgrade plan just because I don't like to spend the money every year to get a brand new phone. I find like every other upgrade year cycle is fine for me. But this is a whole new iPhone. This is the iPhone 10. If I could have gotten one more year out of my iPhone 6, I probably would have, but I felt like I couldn't. So I upgraded the 7 last year and I'm going to upgrade to the 10 this year which is going to create an additional complication for me because I bought my phone last year, not on Apple's upgrade program, but on one of the carrier subsidized programs, which was probably kind of a mistake. It was kind of instant gratification last year. So I'm going to have to pay my phone. I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of, of riding that train. So I just decided I'm going to pay my phone off. I'm going to pay him. It's like 350 bucks is what I owe to pay this phone off, but then I get to keep it. So I'm going to go ahead and pay that and get that done probably this week so I know that there's no complications in line when I go to order my phone um, and then just buy the phone on top of it. And then I'll probably turn around and, and gazelle this phone, which I should get enough back to to pay off you know, what I paid off. But um, I'm just going to buy my phones outright from now on. I, I'm not going to do the upgrade program. I'm just going to buy the phone and buy Apple Care and be done with it. I, so the first with the iPhone 6S, I believe, I bought on that upgrade plan where you pay Apple so much a month and then you can upgrade it. And it was always with the intention of keeping them till the end and then handing them down. But I figured why pay it all the money up front if it was a no interest loan for two years. Uh, last year, you may recall, it took me about three or four weeks to get my new phone after they came out. 
which was a bummer because I actually have a blog where I talk about stuff this like this and a podcast. And I couldn't get it because I was on the upgrade program. I was up at the designated hour, but because I was on the upgrade plug program, things just, you know, the wires weren't connecting and I didn't get it. Ultimately, I just bought the iPhone 7 I have outright. I just paid cash for it. And I think that'll be my strategy again this year. And this is really because I'm crazy and I have a blog and a podcast. If I, if I wasn't kind of, it wasn't kind of urgent for me to get it so I can talk about it, uh, I probably wouldn't be as hung up on that and I'd do the upgrade plan. I, I think the upgrade plans are very good. You know, it's not, especially with Apple, there there is no interest charge, at least at the last time I looked. So you're just basically getting an interest-free loan. But uh, like Katie, I'm just going to pay for it outright. What do you do with your old phone when you get a new one? Uh, it depends. If I have someone to hand it down to, which I think I do this year, I think my, my grandmother's going to want my old phone because she's rocking an iPhone 5S and she's having some issues with it, then I will hand it down to them. Um, if I don't have someone that I can hand it down to, um, I usually gazelle it, which I know is not probably the the most bang for the buck price wise that you can get to it if you wanted to eBay it or something like that yourself. But I just don't have the time and the hassle for that. I, you know, I'm I'm good with just getting a a set amount that we all agreed upon and and being done with it. Now I didn't see the final numbers, but in the Mac Power Users Facebook group, we did an informal poll when the uh, first thing announcement first came out, and it was overwhelming that Mac Power Users listeners are getting an iPhone 10. Yeah, it was pretty I mean, skewed. It, yeah, it was <laughs> overwhelming. Of course, we are a self-selecting group, right? You know, we love this stuff. But the uh, so for the listeners out there that want to get an iPhone 10, so you want to go ahead and this is my recommendation first the best way to buy these things historically is the Apple store app on your iPhone or iPad. Um, that's the app that Apple makes, you know, uh, as opposed to using Apple's website, for some reason, the pipes connecting the internet uh, website aren't as streamlined as the ones with the app store app. And uh, every time I've done one of these midnight orders, uh, going, you know, the AirPods recently and, and phones in the past, buying them through the app store app, I was able to complete the transaction and be done while the internet was still trying to connect you know, to their servers. So would you agree that's the best way to go? I do. But sometimes you have to force quit that app to make it, to force it to refresh. But I will tell you, I think there's a pre a couple of pre-steps that you need to do before you even get on the app or you're going to have some problems. So the, the thing that I would do before that is first I would check with your carrier and make sure that you're all clear with your carrier to buy the phone. Like my pre-steps are going to be I'm going to pay off my old phone. I don't want, I don't want any of that, you know, getting in my way. Um, sometimes you may need to check and see if you're upgrade eligible. If you're trying to buy on one of these upgrade programs, you can check with your carrier and make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row that way. And then the other thing that you need to do is I would say pay with Apple pay and make sure that you've got all of your cards added to Apple pay and you're good to go. Got your preferred payment method, got your preferred shipping method and all of those things. And some of the carriers will only deliver to the same address that is on your shipping uh, I'm sorry, that is on your billing address for your your um, for your cell phone plan. So be aware of that if you're if you fall on that boat, um, not all, but some of them. And then the other thing that you can do is and do this before the store goes down, because sometimes the store will go down hours in advance. Go in and pick the phone that you want and designate it as a favorite in the Apple Store app, because that will allow you to quickly click the little favorites icon and go right to what you want and be able to order it 
with one tap. So get your credit card all set up, get your Apple Pay all set up, make sure that your billing and shipping addresses are all set up so that you don't have to futz with that any uh, the night of the order. I would, if you're really concerned, it may even make sense. Just like if there's a cable or a small watch strap or something you've been wanting anyway, order it like two or three days ahead and just kind of go through the process once through the app to make sure everything's working. And I know that sounds crazy, right? But, you know, if you really want this thing, I have a feeling that these things are going to be severely supply constrained. If you order it immediately at midnight on the designated day, I think you'll have a chance of getting one before the end of the year. I mean, that's speculation. I guess I have no basis to say this, but, but I, I feel like if you wait much longer, if you wait until the next day, I, I just think you're going to be looking at 2018 before you get your iPhone 10. Yeah. And have all your accessories picked out and favored it ahead of time. In fact, if you like Apple care is really the only thing that you need to order with your phone. If you want it, you can go in the next morning and put in your order for your case or go in and make a separate order for your case. That's it's fine. You know, if you just want to get your order in and be done with it. Yeah, I, I just think that's the way to go. Just the whole thing is just getting that order completed. And, and this is a, a case where um, Touch ID really helps and using Apple Pay. If you've got Apple Pay set up, it's just a very fast way to complete the transaction. Okay, okay we, so we got it. We got check with the carrier, go in, uh, favorite the phone so you can get to it quickly, do a test transaction. If you've got an iPad and an iPhone, run them both at the same time. You know, and, and your Mac. I mean, just have, you know, treat it like a military thing. Just go for it. Okay. Um, so we got the, we got the phone covered. Uh, another common question we've had a lot lately is just upgrade strategies in general. Well, we kind of talked about that a little bit. I mean, you tend to upgrade every year. I historically have upgraded every other year, but I'm, I'm kind of making an out of cycle upgrade with, with this particular phone. Uh, you know, I think it depends, but I think you need to check with your carrier and make sure you've got no barriers. No, I'm sorry. I meant with regard to um, all the Apple hardware. We got a couple tweets about this. It's like, what, what is your general rule of thumb for hardware upgrades for Macs, iPads, phones, and that stuff? Um, you know, well, it it, it depends. Um, my my general rule of thumb has been to to buy when I need to. Um, I I. Typically, if, if I've got Apple Care on a product, I will try to buy a new product right before Apple Care runs out on the old product. Um, you know, more peripheral type devices like, you know, routers or printers or other accessories, those I buy very infrequently. You know, those I just I just buy when I need them. Uh, we talked about our upgrade strategy for iPhones. Um, iPads, I tend to upgrade less often. I tend to upgrade you know, only when there's either a, a significant, this was really the exception for me with iPads because I got the 9.5 Pro and the 10.5 or 9.7 Pro and the 10.5 Pro, which honestly was really unnecessary. I'm not sure why you guys let me buy the 10.5 Pro when I already had the 9.7, but I did. Well, you can blame us. That's fine. Yeah, that was, that was unnecessary, but I did that. So I tend to buy um, those types of devices when there's a, when there's a major change. I mean, the reality is um, that the, for the type of work that I'm doing now, um, I don't need the latest and greatest. Um, you know, we don't edit our own podcasts. Um, you know, we send those off to, to Mark to edit. Um, and, you know, having a computer that's two or three years old is is perfectly fine. I tend to buy higher end when I buy, and then it, it tends to last me, you know, three years or so. Three years is generally my rule of thumb. Uh, but my last Mac, I kept four. Yeah, the... Um... And just to wind back a little bit, I forgot to mention one point I want to make on the iPhone 10. I had a moment of clarity on this when I was talking to someone over the weekend about whether they wanted to get this one or the eight. And 
my feeling is the iPhone 8 is kind of the the final design or it's the perfected design of the iPhone 6. You know, if you look at the iPhone 6, they've been they've they've iterated on that for several years now. And this iPhone 8 is is the most current and polished design of that classic, you know, accepted design whereas the iPhone 10 is the new and sexy which could come with some downsides because they've never made this exact phone before. So you may have some headaches, but it's got some cool features. So if you want just the safe bet that's going to be great, the iPhone 8 is probably the answer. If you want to kind of get to the bleeding edge, I think that's the iPhone 10. Okay, so that I just wanted to get that out of the way because I knew I wanted to say that. I just, just forgot it. Now, getting to hardware upgrades, I, I have this theory. I call it the refrigerator theory. And I think about my refrigerator. You know, when, when I, have, I have a refrigerator, it's a great fridge. And uh, if something happens to it, I'll pay some guy to fix it. But I am never shopping on the weekend saying, what's the latest refrigerator technology? You know, when can I replace this refrigerator? You know, the, I'm not going to replace that refrigerator until it's dead and beyond repair. And there's nothing I can do with it, but replace it. And I think that for a lot of people that don't listen to Mac power users is the way they think about computers and phones and, and stuff like that. It's, it's great until it stops working and then you get the new one. Um, uh, because we make the show and because you listen to this show, you probably fall into the demographic that doesn't think that doesn't think about technology the way we think about refrigerators. Uh, we think about them uh, more actively and we are looking for the latest and greatest. And, uh, but I think everybody has to make their own decision about when they make upgrades. Uh, uh, I like Katie's idea of saying, well, you, you, you keep it for a certain amount of time. Like you, Apple Care is three years. So in Katie's world, three years is kind of the shelf life of a computer. After three years, you're ready to get another one. Um, uh, for me so far on Macs, the, the shelf life has been when I need a new one. And I've been willing to keep things past Apple Care. I haven't really used that three-year deadline so much because I have a family of kids that are always needing hardware and stuff. So I always hand it down. And, um, uh, you know, if like my daughter is editing uh, Final Cut stuff on a, I think it's a six or seven-year-old MacBook Air, I'm thinking, wow, you know, at some point I'm going to have to figure out that problem. And usually it means me getting something new and her getting my old thing. So, um, but that's kind of how I figure out upgrades, uh, with the, with the iPhones, I get a new one every year. And I guess until it stabilizes more, I'm going to continue to do that with iPads. It's usually every two years. Uh, this year I bought the new, uh, 10.5 inch iPad pro and I kept my 12 inch one. I'm still using them both, but I don't, um, I didn't replace the 12 inch with the new 12 inch iPad pro and maybe next year I will, or maybe next year I won't. I don't know yet, but, but the, the phone is the one that I feel like an urge to, to upgrade every year. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you in part by one password. You can learn more and get a special discount by heading over to onepasswordcom slash MPU. So one password is your family's safe deposit box with a digital key. It is the safest and easiest way to share password, credit card information, and anything else that's too important to write down or send via email. And 1Password not only helps protect you, but your entire family. It allows everyone to practice smart online security by generating strong, unique passwords for all of your accounts. Now you know that there is someone in your family, and maybe it's you, who's guilty of taking that same password and using it over and over again on the various sites. And if some 
something bad happens, and it's only a matter of time before it will, it compromises the security of everyone in your family. Well, 1Password can help you with that. It will remember everything for you. It will help you automatically generate safe, secure, and unique passwords and keep those passwords safe. And using 1Password is easy because it will automatically sign you into your favorite websites with a single click. It integrates into all of your favorite browsers and is available on Mac, iOS, Android, and even Windows. So with 1Password for Families, you can decide who to share your information and what they can do with it. So maybe everyone in the family gets the Netflix password, but maybe only mom and dad get to know the banking password. With 1Password, everyone gets a personal vault that lets them keep their own private information and documents all managed under a single subscription. The beauty of the 1Password subscription is you get access to all of the award-winning 1Password apps, including on the Mac, Windows, iOS, and Android. Your apps are always up to date, and your family gets a gigabyte of secure encrypted storage for your documents. Everything syncs seamlessly, and your history of items is always backed up. And of course, you have the 1Password watchtower watching over you, as well as the entire team of AgileBits support staff. So head on over to one Password.com to slash MPU to learn more. And thanks, 1Password, for your continued support of Mac Power users. So we get questions all the time about Apple Care. What are our thoughts on Apple Care? Do we buy it? Is it worth it? Should we just save the money? I have really conflicting thoughts about Apple Care, and I think my thoughts on this has changed both on, you know, now we've got Apple Care Plus. Now we've got, you know, cost of Apple Care is, is steadily increasing. The cost of the additional premium that you have to pay is going up now if you have accidental damage, but also the cost of repairs are going up. And it, it seems like, I, I will say, it seems like we're also seeing to some degree on certain classes of machines more trouble with some machines as as they come out. Like, for example, there seem to have been a slew of issues with the new um, MacBook Pro and MacBook keyboards that that maybe haven't we haven't seen those types of issues. So, uh, you know, I I kind of had a set of rules about Apple Care, and then sometimes those rules change. I mean, I will tell you my general rule of thumb is I don't buy any extended warranties. You know, my my rule has always been, you know, if they're selling these extended warranties, it's pretty much just added additional dealer profit. And they're they're making a lot they're selling them because they're making a lot more money than they are on the servicing end. And if I added up all the money I've spent on extended warranties over the years and kept that in my pocket, I could likely just self-insure and, you know, for the one-off time that something has happened, pay for it with all the money that I've saved with extended warranties. But Apple Care has traditionally been the exception to that rule. Um, but I also agree that if you go back and forth and buy it sometimes, but not others, you're, you're kind of negating any savings that you may have. Yeah. I think it, I think it depends on the device. I, I will tell you that I don't buy Apple Care on my iPads anymore. I haven't for several years. And thus far, knock on wood, I have not regretted that decision. But I feel like, you know, for my use of an iPad, I keep my iPad in a case. I'm, I'm not, you know, using it in situations where I'm likely to drop or damage it. Um, it's something that I, I could afford to replace if I needed to. 
you know, I, I feel like risk is low on an iPad. So I tend to not buy Apple Care on iPads anymore. Okay. But, but just on that note, you, you use the iPad at your bedside table. I don't even think you take it to work. Do you? No, I do many days. I do take it out. I stick it in my purse and I take it places, but you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not using my iPad while standing, you know, I'm not pulling my iPad in and out of my pocket. You know, I'm using my, iPad. I'm t- pulling my iPad out of a bag and using it at desk or using it while sitting in my, at my couch or using it while sitting in a chair. I mean, I'm not using it in places where it's likely to suffer accidental damage. I'm sorry, I, I got distracted. Do you have pockets that the iPad would fit in? Did I, I don't think I said pockets. I'm my purse. I'm pulling it out of my purse. Okay. But but I was I was contrasting that with an iPhone where you where you regularly pull your iPhone out of your pocket and and you're ripe to drop it at that point. I am. Um, I did not buy Apple Care on my new iPad, and I wish I had because I put it in my bicycle and ride around town most days of the week with my iPad in the back pannier. And since I wipe out, it's going to break or I'm always running around with the iPad. So I I feel like I kind of made a mistake not getting it. So I guess it depends on with the iPad. I don't think, um, let me one back, uh, with the iPad, it depends on how active you are with the device. Um, I don't think it's inherently subject to a lot of issues. I mean, there's enough room in there. I don't think they have a bunch of overheating or bad processors. It's not like the MacBook keyboard, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So, I think the the iPad is really up to the person. Uh, you can make your own decision on that one. Agreed? Yeah, I agree. Although Federico just bent his iPad. He bent it? Yeah, he took it to the beach. How, how did he bend it? He has no idea, but he took it to the beach. I mean, I'm not taking my <laughs> iPad to the beach, so. Hey, I, I, don't, I don't involve the sand with electronics unless uh, I have some real serious, like, uh, protection involved. I, t- I took my phone into the ocean when I was in Hawaii, but even though the iPhone 8 is rated for water, I put it in one of those bags. You know, they have the little foam bags. I put it in there. I was not going to. I just feel like sand gets everywhere if you give it the opportunity. All right. So iPad, but but iPhone, I think, is a very different story. And as iPhones have gotten more expensive and repairs of the phone have gotten more expensive, ugh, I I. I, I will still be buying Apple Care on my iPhone 10. Yeah, especially because it's a new design. I mean, who knows, right? Well, and it's it's glass on the front, it's glass on the back. You got your bread buttered on both sides. So if you drop that thing, chances are pretty high that you're gonna break it. However, Apple Care on the iPhone, and I need to again knock on wood here, I have never broken an iPhone with accidental damage. I've never broken or cracked a screen. Of course, this is the time I'm going to do it seven times, I'm sure. But um, so you could argue that I have paid thousands of dollars on Apple Care for iPhones over the years that I've never used. But to me, that just seems like a very high risk um, for a very expensive device. And the repairs to repair an iPhone um, are very expensive now. However, the flip side of that, Apple Apple's done the math. They get it. The Apple Care costs of an iPhone have now gone up. It's now two hundred dollars to get Apple Care Plus for your iPhone, and the cost of a of a accidental damage repair has gone up as well. Well, it's glass on both sides. So, what else do you need to say? Uh, because I hand them down to my kids, uh, we've made several trips and used our Apple Care often, usually in the second year of ownership, not the first. Uh, but so uh, the iPhone uh, Apple Care for me is always we always purchase it. We always use it. In fact, I even have a uh, OmniFocus task I put in when I get a new phone, which sets a a two-year clock on the device. Uh, And when we're getting towards the end of the Apple Care, uh, I just check in. Like, 
we had that going with the iPhone 6S that my uh, daughter has right up leading into September. We brought in because she had broken the glass, of course, and we got in and got the glass replaced. But at the time they found there was also a battery recall. So she got a new battery too. So yeah, it, it's really nice having that. If you have kids, just get it, <laughs> just get it. Even with them putting in cases, I don't understand how they live their lives, but they break things. Uh, we skipped over the Macs though. Um, what about that? I mean, on the iMac, I generally don't buy Apple Care. I feel like the thing is, it's got a lot of room to breathe. It's not going to overheat. And I've never purchased uh, Apple Care on an iMac. I've never really had significant issues with an iMac. So I probably wouldn't purchase it or to buy a new iMac. But the MacBooks, uh, I feel like I would probably get it at this point because it seems like the MacBooks are having issues. Yeah, I would tell you just I would not buy Apple Care on an iMac either. Um, however, I do need to point out that our buddy Jason Snell had a spider crawl up in his iMac and die. I don't think that would have been covered by Apple Care, though, would it? I don't, don't know if it would be or not. I would make a strong case that it should be. It like it like got up between his screen. And so yeah, it was like that. in the glass. Yeah, he had a great post on Spider-Mac. it. He, he he finally got it repaired, but the the spider was able to get just like be- between where the glass was fused, and then crawled and then, to his death right on Jason's screen, and then died. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, <laughs> and his his office is in his garage, so maybe you know there's some spiders out there. Uh, MacBook though, what do you think? Um, I I would tell you. After, if a computer is a new, I bought it on my MacBook Pro because my MacBook Pro was a brand new generation machine. So I would say after a computer has gone through a few generations, it is no longer a brand new design and you haven't, there there aren't any kind of ongoing issues with the machine, I would start second guessing buying Apple Care on it. However, seeing as we've got these super thin designs, we've got these brand new keyboards and we know that there are issues going on, right now I would buy Apple Care on a MacBook or a MacBook Pro. Yeah, it always feels to me like laptops are defying the laws of physics. They cram all of that stuff into that little case. I have the first, the original MacBook Adorable, you know, the just plain MacBook. Uh, I gave it to my daughter. Uh, we have, I had the keyboard replaced once when I was using it for about a year. She has had the keyboard replaced again since then. And she just told me the other day that the space bar is acting funny. So she's going to have to bring it in again. Uh, I did not get Apple care on that for some reason. I don't remember why, but I didn't. And every time we've brought it in with a bad keyboard, they've just fixed it. And I, I don't know if that's, um, I don't know why, but you know, it's not covered, but they keep maybe because we started getting it fixed while it was still under warranty and they look at it as a continuing problem. And I'm really curious to see how Apple deals with the, all these computers as they fall out of the one year of, of Apple Care and the, the keyboards are failing. But what a mess that is with those keyboards. I, I think it's a pretty well-documented problem, and Apple may just kind of quietly be taking care of them uh, with the keyboards. So I hope they get it figured out because you don't want, I don't know, it's just silly. Uh, Apple Watch? Apple Care? Uh, I did buy it for the original Apple Watch. I never ended up using it. Um, it, I, I wish I hadn't, and I will not buy it on any subsequent Apple watches. Okay. Yeah. I kind of feel the same, but, um, but again, I, I would say to each, just because we do this doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right decision for you. Uh, I mean, you have to look at what is your tolerance for risk? What is your ability to replace this device? Understanding that you might have to drop a thousand or a couple of thousand dollars if there's a major issue and, and you need to, to get it fixed immediately. Um, 
you know, versus, you know, your, your tolerance. So those are all things to, to take into consideration. I mean, I wouldn't be happy about having to go out and buy a new Apple watch or having to go out and buy a new Apple, an iPad. And I would probably be kicking myself for not buying Apple care if I didn't. Um, but you know, I just, I kind of think of it as self-insuring at some point. I had an insurance friend. She, she's an insurance adjuster, or I'm sorry, insurance salesperson. She said her favorite clients are lawyers because lawyers always buy the insurance. I'm sure we're very risk adverse. All right. What's next? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to skip over iOS storage because I think that's going to take us a little bit longer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, let's, let's talk about dongles. Uh, we have a lot of, we, we just talked about, um, uh, MacBooks and MacBook Pros. I, I've got a MacBook Pro. You've got a MacBook Pro. You've also got a MacBook in your in your house. Um, what adapters have we bought for our MacBooks? Um, and then what of those do you keep at your desk? And what of those do you travel regularly with? And you've probably got a little different set because you have a MacBook Pro, but you also have the MacBook. Uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. Well, I mean, the, the first is I have I have an Apple... USB-C to USB, was it two? Or I guess the, uh, the USB-A connector. You know, it's just the traditional rectangular USB connector. I have one of those. Oh, I've got like five of those. Well, I, I, I have a collection too, but I was just going to say I have one that I keep in my bag at all times. And I have one that I keep in my little um, technology bin at all times. I, I, I had a purging about a year ago where I, you know, I have these little plastic bins where I keep cords and whatnot. And I realized I have like, 40 micro USB cords in there and there's no reason to. So I picked the best two and I got rid of the rest. You know, the next time we had a family event, I put them on the kitchen table and my, my geeky brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws all just took them. Uh, so I, I, I don't have a lot of extra dongles to tell you the truth, but, and to be honest, I don't even use the MacBook in a way where I need a lot of dongle town stuff. Uh, because it, it is a second computer for me. It's not my main computer. So I just don't have much of a need for dongles, but I, I always have the USB thing there in case I run into something I need to do if I have to plug the scanner in or something like that. Uh, I have a, I purchased an HDMI um, projector connector uh, from Apple and it was like 80 bucks. It was like, I felt like I had to sell a kidney to buy this thing to, to plug my MacBook into a projector. And we have, we have just the one. My daughter uh, also presents with her MacBook and we have a special place in the house that it goes in. You know, it's like everybody realizes how expensive this thing is. So I don't see any re- need for two. We haven't had a, a situation yet where we both needed it the same day. So I've got that one. I do not have the RGB one yet because I haven't given a presentation where they asked me to have the RGB one. And that's really bad. We're going to talk later about our presentation setups, but not bringing an RGB one. You mean you mean the VGA one? I'm sorry, the VGA one is going to someday bite me in the butt because, you know, I'm going to show up and they're going to say, no, no, we have um, HDMI. So currently what I'm doing, and I don't give that many presentations. I give maybe one every two or three months, but I have them send me a picture of all the cords. And if they send me a picture and I see an HDMI cord, I'm good. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to have to just go and buy one of the the VGA ones, but I don't have that. So um, I got that. I've got a um, I've got a third party one uh, that is a USB C with um, with three different um, traditional USB ports on it and an Ethernet that I keep around for trips. I've got the um, I'm going to get you the name of it when we come back, but I've got one of those things you plug into the side of the MacBook that has a bunch of ports on it that I don't really use. Uh, I don't really have that many dongles because 
I just don't use it in a way that needs them. But but for you, it's your only computer. So so what are you carrying? So I will tell you, keep in mind that I bought this MacBook Pro the day it was announced. And if there was a, a USB, or I'm sorry, a Thunderbolt 3 dock that was available and shipping, this probably would have changed because I probably just would have bought the dock and been done with it. But unfortunately, even today, the really good Thunderbolt 3 docks are still kind of com- supply constrained. I probably would have bought the OWC Thunderbolt 3 dock because that, that to me seems to be the best one on the market. Um, but it just got kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And so finally, I had to, I had to start buying stuff. So I, I've got a bunch of those USB-C to USB-A adapters. I just keep one in all my various bags. And then instead of buying a bunch of dongles at my desk, what I did is I just bought cables. So, for example, um, I took the cable in my USB hub and I ripped that out. I mean, I pulled it out gently and replaced it with a, um, a, a USB, a USB-C to a, a, a USB type B cable. So for like nine bucks, I have one cable that now converts my entire USB hub will now be compatible with my computer. And now I got USB-C. And so then I got like the USB-C cable that plugs into my microphone and those types of things. So those aren't really dongles, but it allowed me to convert everything at my desk pretty easily with cables to um, to be compatible. Um, I got the um, the Apple digital AV multiport adapter. Now I bought it on sale. So uh, you know how Apple finally reduced the price of their adapter. So I got mine for fifty bucks, um, and then I did buy because I didn't need multiple of these adapters. I got the the Apple USB C to digital AV multi port adapter. That's the one with HDMI, and then I bought a separate adapter from Belkin. It's the one that Apple sells, but it's made by Belkin that just um, does USB C to VGA. Because I have given presentations that require USB-C to VGA, and it was um, it was twenty bucks cheaper, but I didn't have any of the other support. It's just USB-C to VGA. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't have USB-C in, uh, no, which is a no. problem for MacBook owners. It's, it's a problem for MacBook owners. It's not a problem for MacBook Pro owners. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have power in. So if you've got a MacBook, I think you got to get the Apple adapter that's got the power pass through in. But I didn't didn't feel the need to do that. Um, I, I have found the need. I have, um, I, I bought a couple of the, you know, the, the adapters are kind of hit and miss. Um, I bought a cheap no name adapter that was supposed to do, you know, USB-A and ethernet and those types of things. And I have found it to be really, really flaky. So I finally just threw it away. Um, but I've got one from, uh, anchor that I'm, I've gotten in my, you know, I've got it in my Amazon card. I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. Uh, that will do Ethernet because I feel like a lot of times when I travel, I still need the Ethernet adapter for various things, and it would even be nice to have at my desk to be able to plug into Ethernet. Yeah, as we record this, that they announced that WPA two encryption's been cracked, so uh, <sighs> that's a uh, that's a whole other story that's going to break the internet. But the um, <laughs> plugging your uh, your computer into the internet may be a pretty good idea. But um, I typically, when I travel, I typically travel. Um, cause if I usually travel, I'm traveling to give presentations on, um, I usually travel with that multi-port adapter. I tr- usually travel with the VGA adapter. Um, I always travel with the headphone adapter cause you know, I'm traveling with my iPhone, but that's basically it, you know, and then charging cables for things. But at my desk, I have mainly cables. 
On the iOS side, I think I have all the adapters for the iPad. I have, you know, the lightning to VGA, lightning to HDMI, and lightning to USB, and I have the camera kit that I don't use anymore. So I, I've, over the years, picked up all of those. And it's good to have them. And, you know, I, I'm not really encouraging people to not, to skip one if there's a possibility I'll need it. But the, uh, I just haven't got around to getting the VGA one yet, but I will. You're making me feel bad. I think I'm going to order that. <laughs> I feel like just like I was giving you karma trouble earlier. I feel like now that I've announced I don't have one, I'm going to show up somewhere and need it desperately. So anyway, yeah. Overall, though, I feel like the whole dongle thing is a little overblown. Um, I guess if it's your only computer, you are going to have to buy some, and I, I appreciate that's more cost that you have when you're upgrading. But um, for a second computer, for me, it, it just really hasn't been much of an issue. I almost never plug anything into my MacBook. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Omni Group, makers of some of the finest productivity software for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. There's a reason why everybody loves the Omni software so much, and that's because these guys really take their job seriously about giving you the best software for your Mac, iPad, and iPhone. And that shows most recently with the release of iOS 11, where the Omni Group went all in. For today's ad spot, I just wanted to take a minute to go over some of the many things they've updated for iOS 11. In OmniFocus, most importantly, they have drag and drop. This is one of the best implementations of drag and drop I've seen. Not only can you drag and drop tasks on individual lists inside OmniFocus, you can also drag tasks to different lists. And even better, you can use drag and drop with third-party applications. One of my favorite new workflows is to have Apple Mail on the left side of my iPad and OmniFocus on the right side. And I can just take an email and drag it from Apple Mail into the inbox on OmniFocus and I've added a new task. It even creates a link back to the original email address that can be read on the Mac, iPad, or iPhone. So when I get back to that task, I tap the link and it takes me to Apple Mail with the source email message. Super powerful and just a great way to manage email-related tasks. With iOS 11, OmniFocus also gets better Siri capture. Apple gave support to task managers to Siri and of course, they've jumped all over it. Not only can you add a new task, you can also see your lists. You can check items off. Uh, you can say something like, what's my product meeting list in OmniFocus? And it'll give you everything on that list. OmniGraffle also got iOS 11 love. It has drag and drop as well. Of course, that makes sense for an application where you're making graphic objects. Not only can you use drag and drop inside the application, you can also drag and drop objects in or out of OmniGraffle. They also have support for the Files app, which makes managing your OmniGraffle files so much easier. Now you can browse your documents and open in place, meaning any changes you make after opening the file in OmniGraffle will be saved directly to iCloud. I love that. And finally, OmniPlan got the same love. It's got drag and drop and file support. The gang at the Omni Group makes some excellent productivity software. Every time someone tells me there isn't professional level software for the iPad, I tell them just go to the omnigroup.com and take a look around because there is and they're making it. If you need to get hard work done with your iPad, look no further than the Omni Group. Once again, that's omnigroup.com and let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users. Okay, Katie Floyd, you said that you have a lot to talk about with storage, and I'm trying to figure out why. Well, so this kind of goes back. We maybe should have put this back in our, our section where we, we talked about the, the iPhone upgrade. But there was an extensive discussion in our Mac Power Users Facebook group 
about um, about iOS storage because there were some complaints that you know we we always complain because iPhones used to have what sixteen gigabytes of storage. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Apple has finally done away with that, but now the new options are sixty four and two fifty six, and I'm thinking great, no problem. 64 is maybe a little tight, just a smidge tight, but I I can do 64. No problem. I can do 64. There's no 256 is crazy. I do not need 256 gigabytes worth of space on my my iPhone. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's more space than I had on my last laptop. Um, but then I realized that I'm like in the minority and everybody's saying, "Oh, no way. No way can I do 64. I've I've got to have 256." And people are upset now. I guess you're you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't. That there's no happy medium. There's no 128 option. And I guess I guess if there was a 128 option, I'd probably go for that just to have growing room. But a lot of I guess I don't I don't know. You probably will get the 256, but I I'm stunned that people are concerned that 64 is not enough. Yeah, I think that um the, you know, one of the things we heard about for a long time, and, and you and I were both very vocal that Apple was cheaping out selling those phones at 16 gigabytes because it wasn't enough. I mean, I think the operating system itself, like people were trying to do the upgrades and there wasn't enough room on their system to do the upgrades. It, it just, I don't know why they were thinking that. Uh, Gruber even called out um, Apple at one of his talk shows events about that. But, uh, and we would hear from people that are like, hey, I'm in, you know, my corporation buys my phone for me, corporate IT, blah, blah, blah. They always buy the lowest tier. And so I've got the 16 gigabyte, you know, crippled phone I'm trying to get by with. Uh, I feel like 64 is just fine for most people. And, uh, you know, they went up to 32, I believe. Was it last year or two years ago that they went up to 32? I want to say it was last year. I think year. it was last year. Yeah, but, but so now they've got it up to the baseline is 64 gigabytes, which... I agree with you that it's fine. And I think the people who have the corporate job and they're given a 64 gigabyte phone are going to be in, in great shape, especially compared to where they were a few years ago. Um, and so I wrote a post. I thought I thought it was just overall Apple solved the problem. I like, OK, we got the 64 gigabyte for most people. And for the data hogs, we got the 256. So you know, we got two two devices. And I wrote a post about that and I got a bunch of blowback from people saying, well, you know, you, you missed out that they, they left out 128 and I wanted 128, but I didn't want 256. Uh, as if I'm correct on this, I believe that the price increase is $150 and for $150, you get the 256 from 64 to 256, where traditionally every tier was a hundred dollars. So it traditionally would be 64, like it used to be like 16 was base value 32 was a uh, hundred dollars extra and 64 or 128 was $200 extra. So now they've just, they've cut the price a little bit and give you more storage for the higher tier, but remove that middle tier. And uh, I can kind of understand why they did it. It's just a lot easier to supply two phones rather than three at each, you know, for each color. Um, I don't feel like it's that big of a deal. Um, I think you either get the 64 or you go in for the 256. So I'm just I'm I'm reading through the comments on the Mac Power Users Facebook group and I'll I'll link some of these most recent discussions because there there have been there have been multiple. But the main objections to having 64 and people who say 64 is not usable are very vocal that it's not usable. But it seems to be if you use your iPhone 
as a as your primary camera and you're taking a lot of photos with your iPhone, particularly if you're taking photos with your iPhone and not uploading them or offloading them to another device. Yeah, I mean, it's got this big sensor. It's taking these large pictures or, or video at 4K. Video. Video was the other one. Yeah. If you take video at 4K, 64 is not enough. Right. So the, the question is, and, and this is how you manage it, is how often are you taking long videos or even multiple videos and a lot of photos when you're not offloading it to a device fairly regularly. So I, and, and the, so you can go look at this. So if you, you go into, um, and, and it's a little deceiving, so you have to be careful when you look at it, but if you go into your settings and you go into general, um, and then you go into iPhone storage, your iPhone will calculate and I've, iOS has gotten a whole lot better about um, uh, about helping you manage your storage. And if I look at mine, I've got 128 gigabyte iPhone 7 right now. That was the, the middle tier when I bought the iPhone 7. And at first glance, it says I've used 60.1 gigabytes of 128 gigabytes used. And at first glance, I looked at that and I said, oh, I'm in trouble. I guess I can't get a 64 gigabyte phone after all. I guess I'm using a whole lot more space than I thought I was. But then if you give it a minute to load and you scroll down, it will do some things like number one, it will give you some recommendations. Like mine says that I can save 1.92 gigabytes if I automatically offload my unused apps. And a lot of people will see the recommendation that you can save space if you delete your iMessages, which will be a lot easier to do when Apple finally um, releases their iMessage cloud sync feature. But it also, if I go down, my next two biggest things my next three biggest things are music, photos, and mail. So my music is using 18.98 gigabytes. And that is my entire music library synced to this phone. And that's just really, um, I don't even know what the right word is. That's that's a luxury, having my entire music library synced to this phone. And I know, David, your music library is a lot more than 18.9 gigabytes. I don't need there's there's stuff I don't even listen to in that music library. So if I needed to, I could I could get back on to the um, what, what's not Apple Music, but the other one where you just sync your stuff to the cloud. Um, Spotify. No, no, no. It's still from Apple. iTunes match. I could I could turn back on iTunes match and and be more granular about managing my music and I could cut that in half easily. But then the other thing that I use is I'm using 14 gigabytes for photos and keep in mind that that there is no way to manually manage your photos on your iPhone. Apple is doing that automatically. And I've got my settings set to optimize my iPhone storage and to automatically upload my storage to the cloud or my photos to the cloud. So that 14 can go down pretty low as long as I'm regularly connecting to Wi-Fi or I could even upload to cellular if I wanted and offloading my photos back up to iCloud or back up to um, my computer. So that's not that big of a deal either. Well, it's it's really a matter of convenience. You know, people, I get emails from people saying, oh, my phone is always almost full. And that's because if you have extra space, it will download more photos, especially if you're spending a bunch of time in the photos app. And, and but it, it, it treats that as discardable space. So if you start adding apps or media, uh, it will get rid of that stuff and bring it down to the thumb uh, thumbnail size to give you more storage. And, and that's really hard for people to wrap their heads around that, that, that the phone is kind of just kind of managing that for you. 
Right. And right now, 14.71 gigabytes is my entire photo library. I've got everything on my phone. Yeah. And that's even though you have a 128 gigabyte phone, it's not maxing it to 128. It's not like filling it up to within ounces of that, but it is going to put more into photos uh, than it normally would because it sees that you have extra space available. Um, then my next one is mail. I mean, you can significantly, my, my mail is using 837 megabytes. Um, I tend to only sync the last 30 days of mail. You can adjust that in your settings. Um, I think I sync more on certain accounts. So, so you can, you can reduce the amount of mail that you sync and, and drastically reduce that. Um, and then my next one is overcast. I've got 700 megabytes of podcasts. You know, there are certain podcasts that I don't listen to very often that I could set to stream and just download when I want to. Um, so, so the more that I sit here and really analyze these apps and, and what I'm using, you know, there's, there's a lot here that, that could be offloaded, um, or could be sent back up to the cloud or just unloaded. I mean, would it be perhaps as convenient there, there might be occasions where I might be slightly inconvenienced momentarily, but I, I think generally, no. I mean, I'm, I'm going to buy a 64 gigabyte iPhone, 10, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I think, you know, I, I understand where people are coming at saying, look, I need more than 64, but I don't want to pay $150 for 256. I, I kind of wish Apple would have done that, say, for $100, you go to 256 I think if they had said $50 less, you know, 100 bucks, the usual upgrade memory cost. But instead of, you know, making you go to that twice to get to the highest tier, we're going to get you the highest tier with one jump. You know, 100 bucks here, 256 I think that would have made people happy, especially when you're paying $1,000 already to get the phone. I just would say, you know, obviously it's, it's 150 bucks. It's it, when you're spending a thousand dollars for a phone and $200 for Apple care, it's, it's, it's a relatively small percentage of your overall purchase price, but you also don't want to waste money if you don't have to. So I would tell you to sit down and really look and analyze your usage before you make a determination. Also take into consideration how much time you'll spend managing that. You know, if 64 is on the border for you, or even worse, if 64 is on the border for a non-geek member of your family, and you're going to have to manage their phone for them. Uh, I know with my, my wife, I, uh, we used to get her the lowest tier, and it, I spent so much time trying to manage her phone that, the next, like, I think one or two phones ago, I just got her the higher tier. And it's it was the, the best money I ever spent. I think if we solved that problem, I don't know. No, we didn't. <laughs> I commiserate with you. I understand why people are upset. But. I will tell you, I am willing to bet that. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell you now, I am going to get a white 64 iPhone 10. And and I think that will be one of the less popular configurations. And I think that will increase my chances of getting it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, how'd you pick the white over the black? I have had, I have always had a thing for the white phones. And especially because this one has a black or no front, really. Um, uh, I, I don't know. The white phone just speaks to me. I, I like the white iPhones, too. I've had a couple of those in the past. I haven't decided yet which one I'll get. But but I'll probably get the 256 because, it, once again, it's just I just don't want to manage it. It seems like everybody's getting a black phone, so I just kind of want to be unique. Um, the white phone is also a lot easier to find in a purse if you got to dig for it. Uh, and just I think the one point I want to make about storage is... If you want to shoot high definition video or slow-mo video right routinely, you're going to need the bigger storage. 
I feel like I was a little too cavalier at the beginning because you, you definitely need more storage if you're going to be shooting uh, 4K video. All right. Have we solved that problem? I, I feel like it's solved, but maybe not for everybody. <laughs> okay. I've okay. solved it for me. I've, I've talked through myself. I've got my decision made. I'm done. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we solved that for you, Katie Floyd. <laughs> um, we did get a, a bunch of messages that we've been um, kind of collecting for a while now concerning presentation stuff. Um, the, uh, and, and, you know, it kind of comes down to what is your presentation rig? You know, what are you, what are you carrying with you when you present? Uh, I, I happen to have written a book on that. So I actually have a very specific list. So I, I have a toolbox that I keep in my garage. And every time I go to a presentation, I put it in the trunk of my car and it's just a, just a little box I carry and it. It's super useful for, um, for presentation day. And in it, I keep things like extension cords. I keep duct tape because sometimes you need duct tape always comes in handy. Um, I keep, uh, zip ties and batteries. You know, if you've got, um, if you've got remotes that use batteries, you should have double A's or triple A's, whatever you need for your remotes in that, in that box. I've also got some audio patch cords in there that I use because, uh, rarely do I need audio in, in a presentation, but if I do, uh, I always forget to bring it. So I've got those patch cords in there. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the presentation box. Uh, uh, in the meantime, I will keep like the various dongles that I don't need for anything else. Like when I was talking about earlier, you know, where do I keep the the USB C um, HDMI dongle? It's in that box. That's that's the place we keep it because that's when you're going to need it. Uh, but I don't bring the box in with me when I go into a presentation. I just usually just pack my bag with the specifics I need. And if I get there and suddenly I find I need duct tape or an additional extension cord, all I can go out to my car and get it. So. That's the first thing is I, I bring the stuff for the trunk and I bring the stuff for the presentation. Uh, if I'm going to be giving a presentation, it's an important one, like something in court or something, you know, somebody's paying me to talk about something. Um, I, not only do I bring my laptop or my iPad into the room, I also bring a second one that also stays in the trunk. And that's the days when I ex exert the dad privilege and say, Hey, I need your laptop for the day. And, uh, so I'll take my wife's or my daughter's laptop and I'll put the presentation on there make sure it's got all the fonts installed and then uh, just leave it in the trunk. Cause you know, you, you always, it's, it's never happened to me and it probably never will, but I don't want to be there that one day when I show up and my laptop just fries, just starts smoking right before I give a big presentation. I don't have a way to get to my slides. Um, so that's a start. I have more to talk about with my dongles, but what about you, Katie? Um, so I, I carry a, a couple of, I tend to give presentations when I travel. So I, you know, I carry the dongles that, that we've talked about a, a lot before, like, um, you know, the VGA and the HDMI dongles. Um, I have also bought the uh, Kensington Presenter Pro remote that you have recommended. Um, I had a little less expensive one before, but I always found that it, it had really poor range and that Kensington presenter pro will go a long way. So I, I really like that, that remote. And so I, I always pack, pack that in my go bag. Um, I always pack, um, you know, a couple extra cords, you know, power, power adapter and, and those types of things. Um, I also pack, I have this, um, little accessory and I've, I've got to try to, to find a, a link to it. But it is, um, it will allow you, it's a three in one accessory, um, that will allow you to create a, um, a Wi Fi network. And so it will either allow you to plug into a Wi Fi network, it will allow you to 
connect to a um, existing Ethernet network, or it will join and extend an existing wireless network. And I find that that's nice if you um, if if you need to to create a network because you need to to do something with that. So um, that's nice. Um, but uh, and I like that uh, Kensington Presenter Pro because I always used to take a flash drive with my presentation on it, but that has a flash drive built in. So yeah, I always, the, uh, the remote USB dongle has also a flash drive in it. Right. So you can you can buy a version. Uh, that's a little more expensive that has a USB flash drive built in. So I always keep a copy of my presentation on that USB flash drive. So then if I end up not using my gear or using somebody else's gear, um, then I have my presentation. And I usually will, I'll have my presentation in keynote format if I'm giving my presentation. Typically the last thing that I will do though is I will export my presentation as a PowerPoint and put a copy on that flash drive just in case. Or or just uh, export it as a series of PDF slides, you know, just PDF images. That'll work too. Uh, the so the Kensington Presenter Pro is a Mac uh, pres- presentation remote. Uh, I, I I have had it for several years. It's it's just a champ. It has a green laser, which is much more visible to people watching than a red laser is. Uh, it's got a switch on it, you know, an on and an off switch because so often you show up for these things and the batteries are dead in your, in your device. And this one not only does have a switch so you can physically turn it off, but it also just uses regular double A or I think it's triple A batteries, So you can replace the batteries right there. And I've got some remotes I'm going to recommend for the iPad in a minute. Neither one of them have those benefits to them. It's just a great remote. And, and like Katie says, it works from a long range. If I'm re- if I'm presenting with iPad, which I'm doing a lot lately, I've been you know I've just been kind of I just decided a couple of years ago I wasn't going to be so afraid of using the iPad for presentations. Up until iOS 11, I would have recommended using the Satichi remotes that I've been using previously um, through Bluetooth connections. Those would allow me to advance slides, but those don't work anymore uh, since iOS 11. For some reason, I can't get them to work. I've got emails out, and I don't really have any answers. Uh, so for now, I'm doing presentations with iOS using the phone as my remote. It's not ideal because you've got to look at it and it looks kind of distracting when you're in front of an audience. But I uh, I think it's the best we have. Something I'd like to try with my next presentation is give a presentation off the big iPad and then keep the 10.5 inch and hold it in my hand and try and annotate on it with the pencil and use that while I speak. Uh, but for now, I don't really have a good answer for how to remotely control a presentation on iOS. And another really useful tool if you're presenting with an iPad is a stump or some other type of iPad stand that you can put it in. And it's really kind of nice when you're giving a presentation with the iPad because uh, traditionally giving the presentation with the Mac, you've got to find a table to put the Mac on somewhere so you can see you know, your next slide. And with the iPad, it's a much smaller footprint and lighter. So I find oftentimes it's it's easier to get my my presenter screen closer to me using the iPad. So that's kind of nice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's really fun and it's a lot easier than it used to be. I mean, I hardly ever need the stuff out of my toolbox anymore, but I, I still can't bring myself to stop bringing it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fracture. You can learn more and support the show by heading over to FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one-question survey. So Fracture is the photo decor company that is set out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. 
They take your photos and print them directly on glass and then laser cut a rigid backing so that they are ready to display right out of the box. They even include the little screw right in the box. You don't have to do anything. All you do is head over to FractureMe.com, upload your digital photo, pick your size, and then boom, you're ready to go. They will ship you your print in this amazing packaging to assure that it's going to arrive safely. And it's that simple. Fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photo really pop. And they have this sleek, frameless design that looks good with just about anything. You can use a Fracture to bring a special memory to life. They make amazing gifts. Or you can use it to decorate your home or office with those moments that tell your stories. And I'll tell you, as a business owner, I I love using Fracture Prints to brighten up my workspace to give as corporate gifts. They're very affordable and they make great talking points in your office. Be sure to ask Fracture about professional and bulk order discounts before you order. Fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're sure to love your order. And each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. sourced materials in their carbon neutral factory. Now, you know, the holidays are upon us, so you will probably want to start ordering your fractures now. They make amazing gifts. For more information and to learn more about the process, head over to FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one question survey. It helps support the show. Again, that's FractureMe.com slash podcast. And thanks to Fracture for their continued support of Mac Power users. Katie, we've received a lot of email and some tweets as well about all of this activity going on with the voice in a can business lately. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in a, in a prior show, but we really haven't kind of gone through all the options available now. You want to talk about that stuff? Yeah, we can talk about it. But, uh, you know, we also have a couple of updates to the voice in the can coming out later this year. You know, Apple's HomePod is supposedly releasing later this year, although my guess is it will more realistically be into next year before it's out in, in any major quantities. We we also have a, a big update to the Sonos that is coming out. Um, and Amazon is coming out with a new Echo that is shipping later this month, though we don't know, you know, if that will be supply constrained doll or if it, that will be shipping in major quantities. So it it seems and Google Home just came out with a new product. It seems like this is an area where people are continuing to innovate and kind of erase, you know, um, obviously people are interested in this. I don't know that we've really seen any numbers, though, in terms of how many of these voice in a can solutions are truly in households. I think what I'd like to do is start by just let's go over what what are the options? If you're listening to this and you're thinking about it, you know, what is out there that you can buy right now or in the immediate future? And and what are the pluses and minuses of the various companies products and maybe even room for a little bit of our recommendations and thoughts on them? Uh, since this is an Apple show, I think we should probably start with the Apple HomePod. It's the biggest mystery in the bunch. They announced it at WWDC in June. Um, they explained that they keep selling it as a speaker for Apple music. So if you've got a uh, iPhone or an iPad and you have an Apple music subscription, it's a, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a very easy process of talking to your, your phone watch slash iPad and having cool music come out of the home pod. And they also keep emphasizing that it's a really great speaker, which is not true for some of the other devices we're going to talk about here. What they haven't really emphasized or expanded upon much is exactly how much Siri integration we're going to get with it. Um, uh, it it's pretty clear that it's not going to be have third-party integrations like Amazon Echo does. 
it's not it's also kind of clear that they're not even going to have the full integration with everything you can do with Siri on your phone. Like, for instance, I can tell my phone to add a task to OmniFocus uh, with the most recent updates. I'm not sure that's going to work with the Apple HomePod. So it seems like what the HomePod really is aimed at is someone who, who loves Apple music and wants a nice place to play music throughout their house and wants to be able to do things like check the weather and do some basic Siri stuff. But I, I don't think that they, they have much bigger aspirations than that for this first generation. Do you see any differently? I, I think like anything, this will continue to improve. I think there will be some basic Siri support coming in, in the first generation. I mean, they did, they did mention it um, in, in the introduction, but they certainly didn't demo it and they certainly didn't focus on it. So I, I think there will be Siri support, but it's yet to be seen how much support for Siri. I think Apple wants this to be a competitor to the Amazon Echo. I mean, they they made a direct comparison to the Amazon Echo in this particular event, but yet then didn't focus at all on any of the the home features on of, of the HomePod. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find it right now. During the WWDC presentation, there was a slide on screen that had a bunch of Siri questions. Like, and I know one was like the weather and they were, I think they were asking about a calendar and it was some of the basic things you can do with Siri. Yeah. They were very basic Siri questions that have been around for a while. But I, you know, but that, but there's something to be said for that. Like for me, my whole family, we use Apple music. That is our music service and we're fully invested with Apple stuff. And, you know, I remember the days of trying to make stuff from different manufacturers work together. And that's one of the reasons why I think I am so loyal to Apple is because it's like once you get on, you know, one ecosystem, it's it's a lot easier if you stay in it. Um, but it's not going to have as much, um, it's not going to expand out as far as some of the other stuff is, at least with this first one. I, I expect if Apple, you know, gets this thing going, they'll, you know, like always, they'll evolve on it with future products. But I think for this first first one, they're going to look at it as a win if you get it in your house and your music sounds great and that you're able to do some basic Siri stuff with it. I think that's really what they're looking to do with it. Oh, oh and HomeKit. I, I'm sure it'll support HomeKit. I mean, it's such a natural. I'm sure it will as well. But, you know, I think the initial advice is if, if you were buying this to be a smart home product, I'd hold. I'd, I'd wait and see what, what really happens with it because... I think I think you could be disappointed if if you're buying this to be a a speaker and a interface into Apple Music that is what it's probably going to be about the the initial reports from the very very few people who got hands on time or ears on time I should say with it is that it's a pretty decent speaker but I don't think it's going to be a, a virtual assistant replacement yeah, I mean, the re- I, I would say that you're underplaying it. I, the initial reports is it's a pretty great speaker that, I mean, the people said it sounds really good. But, um, you know, I kind of had a, an idea about this. I was thinking about before we record the show today, I said, what am I going to recommend to people? Because a lot of people listening to our show have the Apple stuff and are using Apple Music. And I guess what I would say is, I think I would almost recommend you wait a little bit because this is the Apple product and just kind of see what the initial reviews are. Um, cause I, we don't know that it's going to deliver on, on the promises that we've talked about so far, but, uh, if you have the Apple stuff, it's in a lot of ways, it's going to be a lot easier than the other products we're about to talk about. Um, because it's the Apple product. And if you are at all interested in it, 
it's not cheap. It's like $350. So I, I think I would almost recommend people to, you know, let it come out for a couple months, go in the store, play with it and, and kind of make your own decision. But I'm not sure I would recommend you jump on this one day one. Yeah, I agree. All right. So that's the Apple Apple HomePod, a lot of unknowns. Now, let's let's probably talk about the one that we've talked about the most on this show, and that is the Amazon Echo. Now, we're only talking right now about the as of October 16th currently shipping Amazon Echoes. There is a brand new Amazon Echo that is shipping at the end of the month that supposedly has as its hallmark feature, improved Dolby digital sound, not Dolby digital sound, but, but sound powered by Dolby. Now, what does that mean? I, I don't know. Is, is it going to be a Sonos competitor? Is it going to be a HomePod competitor? My guess is probably not, but it's probably going to have better sound than the current um, cylindrical Amazon Echo, but it's probably not going to be. I mean, this is a $99 product. It's actually um, a, a lot cheaper than the originally shipping Echo. It, it's probably not going to be a competitor to the HomePod or to the Sonos group of systems in terms of, of a pure music playing device. But I will say, for many people, the Echo speaker is good enough. I I have put an Echo um, in my kitchen and for playing podcasts or even for playing music, if I just call out and ask it to play a specific song, I know and I get that it's not a great speaker, but it is probably the speaker that I play the most music and audio content on because it's it's good enough and it's there. No, that makes sense. And, and there's a voice command to pair it to your Bluetooth device. I don't want to say it right now and cause a bunch of havoc all over the world. But the um, but that's very convenient. Yeah, you can do that. So if you're in your kitchen, like if you want to play a podcast, I think the speaker's fine for that. For uh, for music, I every time I listen to music and I think it's terrible. I I really don't like the way my music sounds coming out of the Echo speaker. And I know they're coming out with a better one, but I, I just don't. It's just not my thing. But I have the fancy um, Sono system. Thank you, listeners, for pushing me into that. <laughs> so I'm completely spoiled. Well, of course I don't like the sound of it out of the um, the Amazon Echo. And when I hear these people saying, "Oh, I don't need my Sonos anymore because the Amazon Echo is fine." That is so hard for me to understand or compute, you know, it, and I know for some people that's true. They they mean it when they say it. But to me, the difference is night and day. And I, I could not go back to uh, Amazon Echo. Well, I guess I would if I had to. But uh, while I've got the uh, Sonos in my house, I will absolutely open the app and play the music through the better speakers. Um, but I could see like because Katie, you're not as into music as I am. And I could see you saying, no, you know what? These are great. I'll put a couple of these in each room. Now they talked. Now they uh, they play music simultaneously like Sonos does. So that's good. You know, it's a lot cheaper. That's for sure. So let's there. There's so many echoes, as you pointed out, there's the original echo, which I don't believe is currently on sale because they've introduced the second generation echo. But you can still today pick up a first generation echo for eighty nine dollars refurb on Amazon. Although we are so close to the new echo being released on October 31st, I would say if you're going to buy an echo, just just hold out and wait for the new one, uh, which is ninety nine dollars and has the improved speaker. So that's that's the the second generation Echo, which is going to be the the regular Echo coming, you know, very shortly. Um, and then the I thought Amazon was very brilliant, and they have the Echo Dock, which I'm sorry, Dot, which is a little hockey puck size 
Echo that you can connect to speakers. So if you want the functionality of an Echo, maybe something by your bedside. Maybe I've got one in my bedroom. I've got one in my office. I think I only have two of these. I thought I had three, but I think I only have two. Or if you want to connect them, um, I've got the one in my office is connected to a pair of Audio Engine A2 speakers. So if I want to play music in my office, I connect that with the Echo Dot, and it, it is a great speaker for playing music. Or the one by my bed is connected to no speakers at all, but it's a, it is my de facto alarm clock, and it's great for getting weather updates or checking my calendar and doing those types of things. Um, and you can get in for you know, 50 bucks or less. They, they very commonly go on sale for, you know, 40 or less. So those are great devices. And then there's the very, the odd ones, the ones that don't quite make sense. There's the Echo Show, which is their Echo with a home screen, with a, with a video screen. And a camera. And a camera. Um, I'm not big on having cameras in um, bedrooms and other areas that are more personal in my house. So this thing is not for me. Um, but and it's a lot more expensive. It's two hundred and twenty nine, and YouTube just pulled support for it, so that the price actually dropped recently. And I would think watching YouTube would be a big thing you would do on this little device. It's got a screen that's like tablet size and smaller. So what else are you going to do with it? But mm, I'm not really sure what the place is for the Echo Show. Um, and then there's the Echo Look, which if you Google or I'm sorry, if you search for Echo on Amazon's um, page, the Echo Look doesn't even come back come up anymore on the search results. I'm sure it's still there, but, you know, so they're really not even publicizing it that much. Um, and then there's the new Echo Spot, which is like, as Dot is to Echo, Spot is to Echo Show, which is, you know, kind of, it's $129. I think it's kind of designed to be an alarm clock size Echo that you could get a little basic information on, but it's it's expensive. It's $129. And they put a camera in it, which means I'm not going to put it in my bedroom on my bedside table anymore. So that was kind of the deal killer for me. I almost feel like people want to pay extra to not have the camera in that thing. <laughs> of all the places, right? You put a camera next to your bed. I'm not sure about that. Oh, the Echo Look, if you search for it, is now available exclusively by invitation again. I am. Um, they you know, look. Amazon is the one that proved this market exists. I have nothing but respect for what they've done. I mean, the only reason I think we have a HomePod is because Amazon's success with this. But they definitely are taking this different approach. With the Amazon Echo, if you've never used one, it has a lot of third-party integrations. They call them skills. And and you have to the, the problem is you have to learn the magic incantation um, to what you... You have to be very precise in what you say to make it do its thing. Uh, as an example, our church has a, has a skill now where you can ask it something and it gives you a daily thing. And my wife, it just drives her nuts. She can never get, she can never get it right. You know, she can never quite get the, the, the words in the right order to get it to talk. And now she, as a result, she hates the Amazon echo now. She doesn't want anything to do with it because it can't get her church thing right. Um, so that's something you have to kind of deal with. But the advantage of that is, is it grows into giving you so many abilities. Like, uh, I can find out how much gas is in my car. Uh, we talked in the four in the uh, show 400 about some of our favorite third-party tech. One of them is that automatic. And one of the reasons is because I can ask Amazon echo, uh, about uh, the automatic, it has an automatic skill set, So it can tell me where the car is, how much gas is in it and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and that I'm never going to get with an Apple HomePod. I, I feel confident to tell you I'm never going to get that skill, right? So it's it's got more kind of nerdy bits to play with. 
Um, it's good for home automation. Although uh, I have been testing uh, a home kit versus the um, versus the Amazon Echo based automation, and it's definitely faster for me home kit with all my devices. And I think that's because um, the Echo has to go through some internet pipes before it, it can execute the commands, whereas the stuff on the home kit's local. Uh, so it just depends what you want to do with it. But I think the Amazon Echo is a great device. Are you going to be buying more of them? I mean, where are you in kind of the Amazon Echo landscape right now? I'm in a holding pattern. If if people say that the second generation Echo truly has a better sound, um, I will probably replace my Echo with a second generation Echo and then put my current Echo in the bedroom. But... Um, I, I'm, I have enough echoes. I have an echo in my kitchen and an echo in my bedroom and an, a, a dot in a bed, my bedroom and a, and a dot in my, um, in my office. So I'm, I'm echoed out, but, uh, if there were significant improvements to them, I would probably upgrade some, but I, I love my echoes. And until, um, Apple has a solution that is just as good, if not better, which they don't yet, Siri still cannot do everything that my echo does. I'm going to keep them and keep using them for certain things. Um, I use my Echo all the time for setting timers, for turning on and off my um, home automation things, um, for checking my calendars, because you can you can connect your iCloud calendars and your Google calendars and those types of things to it. Um, I use it all the time for getting news and weather updates. You can you can customize your daily flash briefing to have, you know, national and local news. And I even have tech news, you know, put in there. I, I use my Echo multiple times a day, every day. And so I'm all in on the Echo. I, I wish that Siri did what the Echo did. But until Apple gets there, I'm I'm all in on the Echo. Well, I don't, I don't think it's ever going to do what Echo does. Because I just don't think they're going to, they're not going to make a partnership with Automatic. I just don't see that happening as an example. Uh, so my plan is, I, I'm actually kind of thinking about divesting myself of Echo slowly. Uh, but we'll see. I, I don't use them that much, except for a couple of those recipes the um uh, i am when the new apple homepod comes out i'm going to buy one i, I i'm going to use it in my home office because i don't have good speakers in here and i think it would be great to have a, a really nice set of speakers in here so i will uh, use it for that as a speaker and then i'll see what i what else i can do with it um but but i uh i'm not looking to buy more echoes at this point i just, just kind of want to see where things go i i really feel at the end of the day um and we're going to talk about sonos next at the end of the day I, i'm just looking for a solution that works for me um and i think this stuff is all up in the air right now one of the things you said earlier is how many people actually have these voice in the can things and are using them daily i don't think it's as many people as you think and i, I think it's really early days i think that in a, in a couple of years the landscape is going to be completely different than it is now which is why spending a bunch of money on this stuff now is not necessarily the right thing you might be smarter to wait and kind of let everything play out a little bit well let me let me let's go there let's talk about sonos tell me a little bit about sonos's recent announcement that they've made because that seems to kind of be the best of both worlds sonos is saying now hey we're going to we're going to work with echo um, or not Echo, I guess Echo is the brand, but we're going to work with Amazon's voice assistant and we're going to work with Google's voice assistant um, and we're going to have a really great speaker. So is this the best of both worlds? I don't know. We haven't seen it yet, but the uh, uh, we're hearing from the the uh, Sonos people that it is. Uh, so so the idea of Sonos is it, it's, an, it's a really remarkable speaker system 
And I, you know, I, I'll hear from the audio files that tell me, you know, that I could spend a lot more money and have better systems. But for me, it, by far, it's the best system I've ever had. We, this, I guess, go back one episode, I talked about it in show 400. But I mean, the music that comes out of my TV and the music that I play through my, my phone and iPad is amazing to me, you know, and I blame you, dear listeners for this, because you guys are the ones that kept bugging me about it until I bought one. And now I own like four or five of them. Uh, so these things are great. Uh, they play music simultaneously throughout the house. They sound great. Uh, they are not a smart speaker. They they don't talk to you. They don't have voice recognition until this most recent announcement of the Sonos One, which has Amazon Echo integration. And I understand it's going to be getting Google Home integration. Uh, neither one of those are that appealing to me because uh, I'm all in with Apple Music and Apple Music isn't in either one of those systems. However, uh, the new Sonos is also going to incorporate AirPlay 2, which is an, a new um, technology Apple announced in in June. That's like AirPlay 1 better. It's one more than AirPlay 1. It's got uh, the ability to cache a bunch of music like a Sonos does. So I can put I can start a song with it when I go outside and the phone gets out of range. It continues because it's already got the song saved. And uh, that would be really great. Uh, it, it would not be me talking to the Sonos system, but instead it would be me talking to the phone, the watch or the iPad, and them just just uh, naturally playing uh, my instructions through the Sonos system, which for me is just as good. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I kind of like doing the HomeKit stuff because I can look at my watch and say the magic words and lights turn on or off, which uh, works with me no matter where I'm at, which is kind of great. So, uh, you know, we'll see. They, they've announced it. Um, I've, I have I think that they're going to, you know, be good for it, that they're going to release this. And assuming Apple's uh, AirPlay 2 is up to snuff and that the Sonos guys can integrate it properly, uh, that may be the best of both worlds for people. But it, it, it's really interesting to me because all of this stuff is up in the air right now. And uh, nobody really knows where, which way they're supposed to jump. And I'm not sure you can until we get a little more maturity into the market of this stuff. Um, and then last, we have the Google Home product. And this is probably the one that admittedly you and I do not have a lot of, um, uh, we don't have a lot of experience with. But by all accounts, the Google Home product is probably the best product if you live in, in a Google world because it has access to all of Google's products and services, which means it will respond to a lot of inquiries because it can go out and search Google and get answers for you. I think this is more of a natural for um, Android people than HomeKit is a natural for iPhone people. I, I think there's a, a group of iPhone people where the Amazon Echo is going to make more sense. Um, whereas the, 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 the Google home really tries to go straight at echo and, and have the type of expanded skills that echo does, but be customized to Android. And, and Google will integrate with their own products. It will integrate with, um, uh, the Chromecast. It will integrate with your Google music. It will integrate with your Google photos. Um, uh, you know, again, this is really designed for people who live in the Google world, but it also has the benefit of the Google cloud system as well. So I, I guess the last bit of advice I'd get, if you're really into music and you don't and you don't mind, um, you know, being at the cutting edge and you use Apple Music, uh, look at the HomePod. And if you just want to see how far you can go with nerdy things to do with these voices in a can, Amazon Echo. But if you're nervous about either one, I think I would tell you to wait and just kind of let, let things play out for another six months. Yeah. And like anything, there are going to be some great, I think, Black Friday deals on a lot of the stuff coming up. 
Well, there will be on the, the, the Amazon stuff. The existing products, not not on Apple stuff, that's for sure. I mean, I don't even know. Apple said they were going to release the HomePod by the end of the year, but that was the last thing they said, and that was six months ago. So we'll see. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Away. Go to awaytravel.com slash MPU, and if you use the offer code MPU at checkout, you'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. Let me just take a minute to tell you why I love my Away luggage. And let's just start with the fact that it's great luggage. It's all made with premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and still lightweight. They've got nine different colors to choose from, and they've got four different sizes. And the sizes have same names like the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, and the large. Inside the luggage is a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're an overpacker or even if you just like a tidy suitcase. And on the bottom are four 360-degree spinner wheels that are rock solid. I've drugged this thing through many airports now and never had a problem. They also have built-in TSA combination locks. So like I said, Away Travel makes some great luggage, but they also take care of the nerd inside of you. What do you need most when you're traveling? Usually it's battery for your devices. We've all seen those people in the airport sitting on the floor next to a plug or even worse in the bathroom. With Away Travel, you don't have that problem. When you buy an Away suitcase, you can charge all of your devices while you travel. Both sizes of their carry-on feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge. It's great to sit down anywhere in an airport, pull out a USB cord, and start charging. You can even share it with a complete stranger in the airport and make a friend at the same time. So I've been traveling with the away luggage a lot lately, and I really am sold. We're getting ready to make a big family trip next year, and I'm going to be buying even more away luggage for the trip. I love the way my away luggage packs and looks in the airport. I like all the unique colors, so when it gets on the airline carousel, I can find it. And I love the way it just rolls through any airport. It even has a removable washable laundry bag, so you can separate your clean clothes from your worn ones on your trip. Away believes in the quality of their products. They offer a lifetime guarantee, so if anything breaks, they'll replace it for life. And they also have a 100-day trial with no questions asked and return policy. Combine that with their free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states, and you can't go wrong. So to find out more about Away, go to awaytravel.com slash MPU. And if you use the code MPU at checkout, you'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash MPU and the code MPU for $20 off. Upgrade your luggage today at awaytravel.com. All right, David, I think we have time for one more question to answer in this big questions episode. Um, And we had a a lot of people ask us about what we're currently doing with social media. Um, And I will admit, I am, I'm not doing a ton with social media these days. I've, I've kind of gotten off the social media bandwagon a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, if I'm just kind of in a social media funk, if I it's just kind of run its course for me, or if, um, you know, if it's just not as pleasant as a, of a place as it used to be. But I'm kind of down on social media these days. So let's, let's I, I don't know. Is it just me? Do I need to just buck up and get over it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think everybody's different. And 
and these things are obvious. They can be traps that you fall into where you spend too much time goofing off with social media, but it's also a really great, you know, as, as people talk about Twitter at the beginning, it was a water cooler. And now that I work for myself, I don't have anybody else to talk to about stuff. So, um, I use social media, uh, kind of sparingly, but I, I do use it. So, I guess I'll just break down some of the services I'm using. The first is, is my main social media is Twitter. You know, it's, it's a great, I love the idea of the small, you know, bit that you can write and put it out to the world. And then I can limit the people I follow. So I don't get a lot of junk in there, but I don't also, sometimes a day or two will go by without me going in there at all. I make most of my friends on relay are really good about getting into Twitter multiple times a day and answering questions and like kind of keeping things going. And I'm not that good at it, to tell you the truth, because I like when I get into a project, I just finished a series of screencasts for a new product that I was doing for somebody. And then I'm also trying to work on the next book. And then I've got the law practice, blah, blah, blah. So when I, I dig into something, I have these blocks of time where I'll spend four or five hours just working. I just don't think to look at Twitter during that time. And uh, so I, I, I've always been pretty good at not overdoing social media because I just get. I have a one track mind. And when I get onto something, that's the only thing I think about. So I guess that's always made it kind of easy for me to have social media, but also put it aside. Cause I know like some people get so into it that they actually have to like uninstall apps and things because it takes over. And that's just never been an issue for me. Uh, so Twitter, I still use all the time. Now, now, what about you? Where are you with Twitter? Uh, I'm a little down on Twitter these days. I, I was a, a big Twitter user a, a while ago, but I'm, I, I don't know if it's the world that we're living in. I don't know if it's the times that we're living in. I will tell you that I find myself spending less and less time on Twitter. I still think there are a lot of good things about Twitter. I get a lot of news and information on Twitter. I get to see what's going on with a lot of friends and colleagues on Twitter, but I find more and more now that Twitter is just kind of becoming a dark place. It's a, a place for people to, you know, I, I hate to say it this way, spew opinions that I really don't care about what your opinions are on on various political things. Um, but but don't get me wrong. I, I very much respect your right to have those opinions, but it's it's just not necessarily the thing that I go to Twitter to see um, or to spew bad things and um, darkness and and other things. Um, and, and I just find myself wanting to spend less and I, and I feel like, and, and maybe this is more a problem with me than it is with other people, because it seems like Twitter tends to be a less friendly place towards women than, than it is towards other people. Um, but it seems like a lot of times when you post something on Twitter, um, you know, if you want to celebrate something or post it on Twitter, everybody wants to comment on it. Everybody wants to have an opinion. Everybody wants to ask you why, or why did you do it that way? Or what did you do that for? You know, can, can you just be happy for me? Or can you just, you know, <laughs> yeah, did, I get it. do I need to get the fourth degree on it? So I, I will tell you, honestly, I found myself uh, posting less and less on Twitter. I, I still, I still probably check it once or twice a day, but I will find it. I've gone, sometimes there are days I've gone multiple days on Twitter. So I will tell you that I'm having less and less of a presence on Twitter these days. Um, and I don't know that that's going to change. I don't know that I'm going to get off of Twitter completely, but I think you're going to see me there less and less. Occasionally I get some wackadoodle that says really mean things to me on Twitter and I, I just ignore it. I mean, I just don't let it get to me, but I think it's much worse for women. I mean, when you look at some of the things that the women in the game developer community have gone through and 
it just, I, I think it can be a really messy place. And I, part of that's because of the relative anonymity of a Twitter account. You know, people can anonymously get it. And I do want to say I've been very, very fortunate that I have not experienced any of that. I, I certainly don't mean to compare my Twitter experience to to anyone who is who has suffered, you know, true harassment on on Twitter. One of the things I do with Twitter is I have a keyboard maestro script that hides the app. If uh, I mentioned this in a recent show, I don't remember which one, but it's just it if if uh, Twitter is open for more than ten minutes, it just hides the app, which is great because that that is one way to kind of help yourself, you know, move on. If suddenly you get in Twitter and you start finding yourself moving around a lot, um, uh, for me, Facebook is something I I made fun of habitually for a long time because I just felt like it was crazy. Um, because of the success of the Mac Power Users Facebook group, I have a lot more respect for Facebook. I mean, we have managed to build a community that is not a bunch of terrible people and everybody's pretty supportive of each other and talk about nerdy stuff that we talk about on the show. So I really love it. I, I don't spend as much time in there as I should for the exact same reason I, I go in dark periods of Twitter as I get caught up doing other things. But I actually want to expand my Facebook uh, time. I want to spend a little bit more time in the Mac Power Users group. I feel like I should probably have the Mac Sparky kind of brand on Facebook a little bit more. I have a page, but I don't really update it. And it's, it's just terrible. So um, going into the, you know, the next six months, I'm going to try and seriously try and build that up a little bit. Um, where are you on Facebook? Uh, I go back and forth with Facebook. I tend to be a, a pretty heavy lurker on Facebook, but not so much of a poster on Facebook. I think part of the problem is I've expanded my friends network too wide on Facebook. I really um, probably need to rein that in a little bit and limit Facebook more to just uh, really close friends and family as opposed to following all the people that I follow on Facebook and having all the quote unquote friends that I have on Facebook who really aren't friends of mine anymore. Um, but I do, I really enjoy the Mac power users, Facebook group on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, I'm, I'm in a couple of other groups. I'm actually an admin of quite a few groups on Facebook now because people have learned that I have a few technical skills. And so I run like a, a lot of my local bar associations groups on Facebook. Um, so people now know me as the, so which is hysterical because I'm not personally a social media person, but people now know me as the social media person. Cause I go around at the various bar functions and take photos and post them to Facebook. And I'm like, no, really, I'm not a Facebook person. You know, I should add that my free agents podcast also has a Facebook group. That's great with a lot of people that are trying to get out on their own. So that's, if you're interested, you should go check that out. But the, um, but you know how to push the buttons to start the Facebook groups. That makes you the social media boss of your group. Yeah, communications chair is my title in a, in a lot of professional organizations that I'm on. But, you know, Facebook is great for that type of thing. There are a lot of people that you can connect to through Facebook that you can't connect through through any other means. Like um, I, I'm the, the president of our local chapter of the Association for Women Lawyers. And, um, you know, I, I went and I built us a Squarespace site and I did all of this other stuff. And um, nope, nobody goes there, but they're all on Facebook. So I'm like, OK, well, there you go. Well, I like, I see that with my daughter. She's, you know, she's a couple of years into college now, but she's still super tight with all her high school friends. And that's because of social media. I mean, when I was, when I finished high school, my friends that went away for college, they just, they might as well have been dead. I mean, I just never saw them again. I didn't know what they were doing within their lives because there was no way to know. Um, 
so I think social media helps a lot of these people stay closer, which is great. But but I, the, my least interest in Facebook is like going on it and spewing political stuff or talking about what I ate for breakfast or, you know, the, I guess the main use for Facebook, I don't have any interest in doing that. That's like, I don't think I've, if I've posted to Facebook in that method, it's maybe once or twice in, in the last five years. But the, um, but I, uh, I do like these communities and I like, I'm more interested in that. So the last one is, is Instagram. And I have made a change on Instagram recently. And I, I should mention this because I apologize if I've offended anybody, but I, um, I like Instagram. I like sharing photos. And I will tell you that I recently, I, I realized that I wasn't doing it as often because I was, I, I found myself tempering what I wanted to share because, you know, being me and having a podcast and doing those types of things, I had a lot of really great people following me on Instagram and I had no idea who they were. Um, and so I made the personal decision about a month or so ago, I set my Instagram account to private. And if you were following me, I'm sorry. If you, if, if I don't know you personally, if we haven't met, um, you probably aren't following me anymore. So I please don't take any personal offense, but I made the decision to lock down my Instagram account and really make it, you know, personal friends and family and, and people that I know. So I have actually found since I did that, that, um, you know, Instagram has kind of become a quote unquote safe place or safer place that, that I feel more at liberty to, to post things on. And as such, I'm using it more now. I mean, my, my grandma, my 80 something year old, cause she wouldn't want me to tell her age, but my 80 something year old grandmother is on Instagram. Well, I mean, if my mom was around, I think stuff like that would have been great for her. She would have loved to see like the kids, what they were doing. But the, um, the Instagram is one that I've, I've always liked, but I've never really, I, I've got followers on it and I have an account, but I just rarely post pictures because it's like every time I take a picture, like if I'll go to Disneyland with the family and take a cool picture, I know I have a lot of followers on Twitter and if I put share it on Twitter, a lot of people will get to see it, but there aren't that many followers on Instagram. So I've just never got kind of that mass in Instagram to make me want to go there and share stuff, which is why I don't have that many followers. Um, but, and there's only so much you can do, right? I mean, you don't want to spend your whole time social media and the stuff when you're with the family, you'd rather just be having fun with the family. Um, uh, Snapchat's another one like that. I, I like Snapchat. I think it's kind of cool. My kids are really into it. So it's a great way to kind of do stuff with them, but I just don't spend that much time in it. I, 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 I would like to this quit all these questions coming about social media to us actually got me thinking like, I, I would like to kind of get a little better at using Facebook more often in a safe way. And I would like to kind of figure out if one of these photos sharing, whether it's Instagram or Snapchat makes sense for me, but I just haven't quite got there yet. And then the last piece I would add to the social media thing is uh, for me, really uh, Slack has become a form of social media as well. You know, we, we talked about earlier how Twitter is the water cooler. Um, I'm in a couple groups, uh, most particularly the one for the relay.fm network. Uh, but you know, also I'm in one for, you know, the incomparable and some of the other stuff where there's rooms in there with a bunch of people that I know and we're all friends and we can talk about anything. And that's kind of nice too. And it's a much more closed environment for social media, but it is social media for me. It, it does give me a chance to kind of talk about stuff and share pictures and things like that with friends. Yeah. And I will tell you, um, I, I don't use Snapchat or any of that. I think there is either a Mac power users episodes or probably, and I'll give you this idea for free, more appropriately, a free agents episode on using social media for business, 
because I know many people through our local business community who are using Facebook specifically and doing a lot of business through Facebook with Facebook ads and presence on Facebook and those types of things, because there are a lot of people on Facebook. And I think if you're a small business owner um, that is marketing to the community at large, you probably need to have a Facebook presence. And I'm not prepared to talk about that, but I, I think we probably should talk to somebody who can. I remember going to the American Bar Association tech show last year and talking to a social media guy there who was one of the speakers on the issue of social media. And one of the things he said to me was that Facebook is where all the action is. It used to be Google AdWords. And he said, people are getting a much better return on their money. This was just, you know, something a guy told me while we we're having drinks. So I don't know how true it is, but he said that Facebook, at least for the kind of stuff he was doing was much more effective than, um, than, uh, Google AdWords. So I believe you know, that. It's, yeah. it's a thing. All you have to do is read the news, Katie. <laughs> That's all I'll say. I do watch the news. I watch, I watch, I TiVo the six o'clock news and I watch it every night when I, when I go to bed. Does that, that tells you how old I am, I guess. Ugh. Okay. Well, well, we'll come back on, on uh, social media. I, I am a little, I'm not as angry at Facebook as I used to be. And I'm more willing to kind of engage a little bit, but I just got to figure out what makes sense for me. Well, that's going to wrap up another one of our Big Questions show. Um, as always, you can submit more Big Questions by sending them to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Uh, and then when we get enough people paying us with the same questions, it then becomes a big question that we will feature on a future show. Uh, but until then, we do want to say thanks to our sponsors for this episode. OnePassword, Omni Group, Fracture, and Away. And we will see you all next time.